The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James. Described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. I'd hadn't studied film and I hadn't studied screenwriting, hadn't read a screenwriting book. I came to find out that those are all very good things. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that sometimes you over intellectualize and you try to um, find systems and uh, sets of rules that really train you right out of creative thinking. Yeah. So I found that not knowing. Uh, how to write a screenplay really created more openness and perhaps, you know, that was partially what led to the film working. Hey there, and welcome back to another Writer File. Hi, I'm your humble host, Kelton Reed. And this week, the Academy Award-nominated screenwriter, actor, and author Kim Krazan joined me to discuss how she came to work with director Richard Linklater on the critically acclaimed Before Sunrise film series, her lifelong study of femme fatales, and the pioneering work of author Anna East Nin. Kim earned her master's degree in English and literature, and while she was writing her thesis, titled Anna East Nin and the Psychology of Creativity, she auditioned for a film part on a lark. 
As a result, she went on to act in some of acclaimed director Richard Linklater's best-known films, including Slacker, Dazed and Confused, and even played herself in Waking Life. After taking an interest in her master's thesis, Linklater and Krizan went on to co-write the lauded film Before Sunrise, featuring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, and they collaborated on the entire award-winning trilogy. It's no surprise that her in-depth studies of the life of a visionary author also led to her latest book, Spy in the House of Anna East Nin, a penetrating look at Nin's incredible life and famous diary, firmly placing Nin in her historical context as a feminist and visionary. A quick note on the audio quality of this episode, Kim did join me via telephone for the interview. In part one of this file, Kim and I discussed the effect her study of the experimental life of a literary pioneer had on her own path to creativity, how her travels abroad influenced her screenwriting, why boredom is so important for writers, how your observation of strangers' interactions is often interpreted into the language of storytelling and how to outsmart your own inner critic. I'd do me a huge favor. If you want to support the show, just pop over to survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles. Fill out that short seven-question survey so that we can learn a little bit more about you. That's survey.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com slash writerfiles. The link is also in the show notes, and I thank you ahead of time. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, welcome back to The Writer Files. I am very pleased today to be joined by my estimable guest, Kim Krizan. Thanks for coming on here today. Thank you so much, Kelton. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we have kind of a running joke that I say esteemed um, almost every time, and I'm I'm trying to work on some some uh, synonyms for esteemed. So I guess estimable or honorable are, are two of my go tos now. I'll take any of those. Those all make me happy. Those are all great. <laughs> cool, <Okay>? cool. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about all things writing with you, Kim, and um, dig into this fantastic new book. But um, Let's just wind the clock back a little bit as we do with authors and, and talk a little bit about your, your very interesting and storied past as a writer. You know, I understand that um, as a screenwriter, you know, you kind of uh, had this interesting life before, you know, the, the Before Sunrise film series as, a, I guess, as a musician and uh, you oh, uh, God. <laughs> are an academic and a... And a and uh, educator, but yeah, let's go back and, and talk because, you know, from, from what I understand, you did, um, you know, you, you studied Anais Nen 
really kind of early on in your career and then had this interesting divergence with Richard Linklater, right? So maybe take us yeah. back and, and, and talk about how all these things are kind of interrelated because it seems like very fortuitous um, on all levels. Oh, well, let's see. So I always loved reading. I adored reading and plowed through books as a, as a child and as a teenager. And I think I was kind of a romantic sort of, you know, had romantic inclinations. I, I just, you know, was always in my head and the fantasy life and all that. So when I was, I was a literature major and my minor was psychology. Um, I've always been fascinated with character with artists and, you know, just interesting people and personalities. I, when I was 20, I stumbled upon Anna Eastman's diary and it was her childhood diary. So I went just, I bought that diary having almost no money at the time. I bought that diary spending the last of my lunch money for the week and <laughs> uh, went on this, <laughs> went on this wild ride learning about Ani Eastman. I was fascinated in her creative process. And I, I think that she may have opened some doors for me creatively because I decided to partially based on her and her influence. Um, I decided to just do whatever I wanted to do creatively. And so, uh, and, and the fact that she was writing alone, no one knew about her. She just kept this little diary and was this little banker's wife who was leading a very private and very quiet life. Um, and yet had all of these crazy adventures and all of this, you know, wild creativity going on in her life. I really realized that the private life is where it's at to a large degree. And so I just opened my mind to just pursuing whatever I wanted to creatively. Um, hence, band, you know, being a singer in bands <laughs> and, um, and, and uh, you know, being just uh, traveling in Europe on trains all by myself and, um, writing yeah. all kinds of things, you know, I, I really, I, I didn't know if anything would ever become public. I just wanted to live a rich inner life. Yeah. So that's, yeah. uh, that was really the beginning of a lot of these, these things that you're mentioning. Yeah. So, so you ended up doing a, a master's thesis, right? On yes. Anna Eastman and the psychology of creativity. And then you know, it sounds like kind of you were inspired by her and obviously she was a kind of a, a, a visionary, right? And, and a proto-feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but then talk about how, talk about the intersection of how you got into screenwriting then and, and, and how your, your, your kind of adventures and travels abroad then went on to kind of influence that. Very early on, I was dying to go travel and, I mean, from the time I was a child, I was just dying to go travel. And so I was in a car accident when I was 20. I got money because the accident was not my fault. And I promptly went to England and got myself a Brit Rail Pass and went all over that island by train. And while doing that, I would meet people on the train and would 
have these amazing conversations and often get off and walk around. And, you know, it was very enriching experience for me. And, uh, and then I did that again a few years later in Europe, went all over Europe and has these experiences, you know, talking to people on the train for hours and hours, you know, because sometimes mm. it would be between, like, we'd be going from Madrid to Paris. That's a lot of hours to be sitting across from someone and have a, an amazing conversation. And then we get off and maybe walk around Paris together. So I had all these incredible little relationships with people that would then end. They'd be very finite. You know, I'd meet them and somehow we would click and then the relationship would totally end. And it was before the internet and, be, you know, and we wouldn't exchange information at the end. We'd just say goodbye. And I thought these were kind of perfect little, little experiences. Um, I, I uh, was in um, a master's program. I was writing my master's thesis on Ani Eastman. My thesis was called uh, On Eastman and the Psychology of Creativity. And while I was working on that, uh, I had a day job in Austin. This was in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I had a day job. And one of my coworkers said, you know, they're, they're filming a little movie in town and you should go audition for it. And I said, well, I've never acted. And the friend, the coworker said, well, you know, you should, you should do it anyway, just for fun. It's just a little movie. It's no big deal. <laughs> so I went and auditioned. <laughs> I went and auditioned for it. It turned out it was, I got the part, it was slacker. And my audition was basically telling the director, Richard Linklater, about my life. And so I told him how I was writing this master's thesis. And uh, in the meantime, he, you know, we made Slacker and then Days. I was in Days and Confused as well. But he asked to read my master's thesis when I was done with it. And I didn't take him very seriously. But um, remember, he asked me if he could read it, uh, you know, again. He'd asked me a number of times, and I, I just thought he was being polite. But he asked <laughs> me on a Monday, and I gave it to him on a Tuesday, and he called me up immediately and asked me to meet him on a Wednesday. And I met him and he'd read it. And he said, would you please write a movie with me? And I said, well, I've never written a movie before. And he said, well, it doesn't matter. I see that you can write. And so that was really the, the dawn of Before Sunrise. When we sat down to write that, yeah. all we knew is that it was going to be a, uh, a Boy Meets Girl and I did have the female character. So, and then the train, you know, the train um, scenario was based on my experiences traveling throughout England and Europe. And, and the female character was originally supposed to be reading Anais Men on the train. Mm. Uh, but the actress wanted to, she wanted to change that to another book. But that's really the how I got into screenwriting is sort of, sort of uh, in a strange way from the Ani Eastman thesis that I yeah. wrote. Yeah. I mean, it's as if, you know, you're having been influenced by her and her work at that level and in, in really kind of exploring her life in a, in, and work in a way led to that movie. And <laughs> I mean, I do find it yeah. incredibly fascinating that the two that your two you know kind of spheres of you know obviously you, you started as an actor working with Linklater but ended up writing that fantastic movie and then also worked on 
and were, were nominated for an Oscar for before sunset, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, uh, Anna East men appealed to me because there was, uh, there's a certain openness in her and in her writing, the stream of consciousness sort of feel to her writing. And I, I think that I, uh, approached life then. I mean, this was, this was in, obviously within me to begin with, or, or she would not have appealed to me, but hmm. just a certain, a certain openness and go with the flow sort of feeling about my approach. Then I felt that I should just be open to different kinds of creativity and, and experience in life and, and relationships and also to trust that there is a kind of unconscious wisdom in us that we don't always have to rest control, you know, that sometimes you can sit back and, and just know that there's a certain magic that will happen if you relax into it. Um, I suppose one does need to have a, a certain amount of discipline, you know, but by just sort of relaxing into things and when I would meet people to be hopefully awake and, and just picking up on whether the you know, whether the relationship or the contact would lead to some sort of interesting experience. Like say those conversations on the trains, those were some of the most fascinating and, you know, little, little mini relationships I've ever had because I met people from different cultures and uh, people that otherwise I would not meet. And we had honest conversations because why not, you know, we're never going to see each other again. And we don't know, we don't even know who we are, you know, at that point, I don't know who that person is. They don't know who I am. They don't know my history. I don't know theirs. And so the the conversation in a way could be a kind of creation in itself and from which we could really learn something. And, and so I suppose there was a kind of openness and then, you know, when, when Richard Linklater asked me to write with him, you know, that's a, a, a teensy bit scary because I'd, I'd hadn't studied film and I hadn't studied screenwriting, hadn't read a screenwriting book. I came to find out that those are all very good things. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that sometimes you over-intellectualize and you try to um, find systems and uh, sets of rules that really train you right out of creative thinking. Yeah. So I found that not knowing uh, how to write a screenplay really created more openness. And perhaps, you know, that was partially what led to the film working. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah. There's some, there's some very interesting innate kind of wisdom in that. And, you know, obviously traveling is a big piece um, for kind of sparking create like as you said those those interesting one-of-a-kind conversations with people that you'll never be able to replicate right oh god yeah i mean i i just vividly remember some of these people that i met no idea what their last names are so no way i could get in touch (laughs) with them and they they live in other countries but yeah they these were important moments for me and and so sometimes bits of, you know, bits of these relationships end up, ended up in those movies, you know? For sure. And it's interesting that that all happened, you know, I mean, you put, you, you wrote the script in the early nineties, right? Before kind of yeah. advent of 
social media and and uh, you know constant our constant uh, need for feedback and so on and so forth. Oh my God! Yeah, no, obviously no uh, no cell phone, no social media. Um, no way to stalk these people on the internet, <laughs> right. you know. And, and then the other thing was that I think that we were more observant before, before the cell phone, because I, you know, just sitting there. Of course, I would always have a book with me. I, ha- I would always bring a bunch of little paperback novels in my um, in my backpack. But there would be long stretches of time where I would just observe people, and I, I think this is a something that writers do, they observe. And I would listen in on conversations or just observe the way people behave or their body language. And I think now people don't do that so much because they've got their heads bowed to their phones and they're taking in the stream of information via the, via the smartphone. Hmm. But I, 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 I kind of long for those days when the boredom is actually fantastic, I think, for your brain because you're, you're forced to create a way to, to entertain yourself. And so I just observed people and I would try to understand, you know, their, what they were doing, their motivations. And I would perhaps come up with stories about who they were. And I think, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of a a lost thing now. I'd love to go back to that, but, but I suppose the genie's out of the bottle. (laughs) No, I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've noticed, and I've absolutely, you know, found some of my most creative times in it. one of the places I like to sit, and you know, admittedly, we'll put on headphones. Is is the um, train station here in Denver, where it's a hub, it's a tra- it's a transportation hub now, and a lot of tourists coming and going. It's called Union Station, and it's got fantastic restaurants and this, you know, this gigantic terminal full of all kinds of seating and and now of course they've retrofitted everything with you know usb plugs and and there's a there's a place you can plug a laptop or a phone and pretty much like every five feet there are it's this enormous (laughs) hall but it's also it's also a you know it's kind of a a turn of the century um architectural marvel that's multi-level um hotel the light rail comes through there the bus comes through there amtrak still goes through there so there's just like there's just people from everywhere, right? All walks of life, uh, on their way to places, uh, enjoying. You know, there's fantastic restaurants and bars there, so people just kind of hang out. But they also pass through. So yeah. it's, tra- it's transient, but it's also a great place to, yeah, as you say, we're kind of always telling ourselves stories about you know what people are doing, or you know, are these is, are these people having an affair, or is there you know are these people on their way to a yeah. celebration or a wake, or you know what is it? You're kind of always trying to square that circle, right? Absolutely. God, I, I totally agree. I think train stations and airports, oh my God, the best, some of the best places to observe people. And then with the added um, angle that they're often under stress. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. sometimes you can see, you can see more of who they really are because they're under stress. So yeah. <laughs> their, their behavior, you know, is, is a bit, a little bit more extreme and you can see them, you know, communicating with one another and trying to, you know, solve problems about what's going on. And yeah, I love, a, I love a train station in an airport. Mm-hmm. Oh God. And, you know, also I love being in a taxi or an Uber hmm. because you've got, you've got this driver who's captive 
and who's dying. I, I find that they're just dying to tell you their story. <laughs> and I, I just end up sitting on the edge of my seat, like gripping the seat in front of me, just listening to the, to like try. I, I find it quite easy to get them to talk and their stories are inevitably just fascinating. You know, they're, I guess, uh, the um, life of a driver, you know, they're running into people all the time and strangers and sometimes it's dangerous. And I just love getting the stories out of them. I find it just fascinating. So I think writers by nature are pretty observant people, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, as you said, boredom is kind of a, an important part of the creative process because it is a piece of that incubate, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that incubation phase. Yeah. But, also, waiting for a flight, if you if you arrive early enough and you've done your due diligence, is really boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's stressful. It's yeah. stressful, too. You're, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody, everyone's sitting there. You're all in the same boat. You're all sitting there nervously waiting for the stupid plane. To, yeah, and I, I find it so interesting to look around at the various people and to wonder what their story is, you know? Mm. <laughs> Douglas Copeland, author of Generation X, said, yeah. um, talked about his creative process and how there's only a couple places he, he says he can really write. And one of them is on a plane because mm. um, I think he, he credits it to the lack of oxygen and, and a glass of white, <laughs> white wine. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then the other is in, a, is in like a, a Denny's somewhere in uh palm desert that's excellent yeah god yeah that is excellent oh that's pretty funny yeah i i found um in the last several years that for me waking up in the morning when it's still dark and running to my desk and it uh something about it still being dark uh and i think my subconscious might still be open from sleeping and it's like my uh, inner critic hasn't come in and interrupted it yet. Hmm. And if I'm really, if I'm really going on a project, which sometimes takes a while, sometimes at the very beginning of a project, I'm, I feel like I'm a donkey with my hooves just, you know, shoved into the mud and I'm not (laughs) moving forward. And, you know, I'm just resisting. And I think that might be just fear or something, you know, that I won't be able to say what I want to say. But after I get rolling, that morning, there's like a, like a hour or something where my, my subconscious is still opened up and it hasn't quite close, you know, haven't quite, I'm not quite awake yet or something. Mm-hmm. It's dark outside and I sit at my desk and boof, I just feel like there's this, this outpouring into my project and then the sun comes up and I try to keep it going for a bit. And if I'm really rolling on my project, I can, but there's, there's, for me now, the deal is, uh, cause I've done it. I've, I've written in different places, coffee shops and, you know, libraries and various places. But now the deal is wake up, you know, run to my desk and try to get as much in before the sun comes up, which ends up feeling really great to me because I'm not, I have no sense whatsoever of my ego. I do not know who I am. I'm just this conduit who's trying to 
and he's pouring, you know, it's like I've, I've been trying to say something in my project, whatever it is. And somehow my subconscious is reached something in the night mm-hmm. and I, I sit down and it comes out and it really feels blissful to me because I have no idea who I am or I have, I'm not conscious of what's good and what's bad. Fortunately, that inner critic stuff, like the left brain stuff hasn't entered in. Mm-hmm. And I really feel great that that like hour or two. Um, and so that's kind of my my favorite time of the day when I'm working on a project, at least with the last with the, the book, with the Ani Smith book. That's how it worked. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of the Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm, where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. And thank you.